Our first reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. Hear the word of our Lord. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great glory, with joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. And from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Also, please join me in the responsive reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Declaration of your pardon of sin from Romans 8. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies, who is able to condemn. For Christ Jesus has died. More than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless us this morning that we might be a blessing to others. Lord, may we give as a response to the gospel. We do not give because you need us to give. We do not give so that we can be redeemed, but we give because you have redeemed us in Christ. You have been gracious to us. May we give to the church because we believe in the mission of Christ Presbyterian Church to be a light unto the nations, to be a light unto Fayette County, May we stand for the gospel. May our mission be to expand the kingdom of God so that every tongue can know and confess Jesus as Lord. Amen. You may be seated. There was an announcement that I did not make earlier uh, this afternoon uh, we will gather uh, the officers and anyone that wishes to be there will gather at, at Christ Church in Arlington it's at 11900 uh, on US 70 in Arlington we're meeting there to baptize Mary Anna Martin, one of our own uh, youth here at Christ Presbyterian. The reason we're going there is because the family has requested uh, and uh, Mary Anna has requested to be immersed. Uh, and uh, she has given a credible profession of faith. 
and we do not have the facilities here to immerse. You say, isn't that strange for Presbyterians to be uh, to, to practice immersion for a baptism? It is. Uh, I didn't tell Mariana, but in my early days, I only drowned two people while immersing. Uh, sometimes back in the mountains, we as Presbyterians did meet down by a local stream to baptize someone who'd never, never seen any other type of baptism. So we'll gather there this afternoon at 3 o'clock. Uh, and if you can, we would love to have you there. It will be a brief order of worship, and you will see something that you do not often see. The last message, the gospel according to Luke in this series, unless the Lord changes Tyler's mind this week. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your blessings to us. We could spend the rest of the day in prayer, thanking you just for the blessings of this specific day. And we would not even scratch the surface. Oh, Father, teach us that we are a dependent people, that we are all physically charity cases, that we are all spiritually charity cases. Teach us, Father, about our total dependence upon you in every way. Teach us to live thankful lives. We thank you this morning uh, for Doug and Melissa Hay. We thank you for their anniversary. We thank how in this last year you have given healing to his body. We pray that you would continue to strengthen Doug in every way, physically and spiritually. Our Father, we pray for Joe Anderson this morning. We ask that you would speak to him as only you're able to speak to him. We pray that you would strengthen him physically. We pray that you would strengthen him spiritually. We pray that you would bless Mimi, that she would, Father, that you would bring comfort, comfort beyond imagination. Keep her from any anxiety as she rests upon you in your great and wonderful providence. We pray that, Father, as we sang a few minutes ago, that we pray that we would all look forward, learn to look forward, even the youngest, with anticipation to what you have prepared for us, not in this life, but in the next. Father, how you have blessed in this life. But oh, what awaits us. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Our Father, now as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to us. John Sartell cannot teach, cannot preach, so that it will make any difference in our lives. He doesn't have that ability. No one who stands behind that desk, this desk, has that ability. And so as always, we bow before you. and We ask as children, oh, Father, this morning, speak to us. Teach your children. Teach us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Change us. Continue that change that you began 
in us and maybe begin a change in some. Oh, Father, so blessed, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Home to glory. How does Luke close his gospel? We read it this morning. The ascension of Jesus the Christ. When we refer to his ascension, we do not simply mean his rising from this earth to heaven. We don't mean a geographical ascension. The ascension of Jesus in Scripture mainly refers to his glory and exaltation as he returns home. There's a day on the church calendar called Ascension Day. It's a day of Christian, should be a day of Christian celebration. When is Christmas? Everyone knows that, December 25th. And we look forward for weeks and months to Christmas to celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God, God coming in the flesh. What a celebration that is. We know when Easter is. We go through Lent looking forward to the celebration of when Christ strode forth from that tomb in power. We revel in the celebration of the incarnation at Christmas and the resurrection at Easter. Why don't we celebrate the ascension? I want to know. Why don't we celebrate the ascension in the same way, with the same fervor. Thought a lot about it. I think it is because the incarnation and resurrection took place here, visible. The ascension took place beyond our sight and beyond our hearing. And you say, well, the disciples saw him rise. We can say, no, no. Remember, the ascension is not about a geographical change transition. It's about Christ, the Prince of Heaven, going home to glory. Some of you remember a few of us, not many anymore. It's very rare to have someone that remembers the Second World War as a veteran coming home from the European theater or from the theater in the Pacific. When, When our veterans were there, 1943, 44, 45. What did did they yearn for most? They yearned to go home. You live to go home. Read the Gospels. Have you ever seen this? The closer you get to the end of each Gospel, the more you hear Jesus speaking about going home. That's what happened in his exaltation. What happened in his exaltation? What happened in in his ascension? As we come to understand it this morning, it should powerfully affect our lives every day. It's not something theoretically that we're just separated from. We look at it and say, well, isn't that something? No, what happened in glory at that time that's recorded in Scripture should affect how we live every day. What happened when Jesus returned to heaven? What was so important? After his incredible mission as he returned to home. What's so important? First, he was home 
Jesus was hung and finished. Look on your scripture sheet, Matthew 26, 64. Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I'll tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God, at the right hand of power, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Look at Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Look at Hebrews 1, 3. He's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Most New Testament references to the ascended Christ, the Christ in glory, picture him as seated. Why? His work of redemption was over. The great mission of redemption was over. Listen to Hebrews 1, 3 again. After making, after making purification of sins, that's Calvary. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen to Jesus in John 17 as he talks to the Father. I glorified you on earth, Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, Father, it is time for me to come home. I have completed the great mission you gave me. People, we need to see him seated. We need to be reminded every day that our redemption, our salvation has already been secured. Our sins have been removed. The ordeal of the cross is over. Our sins have been taken judged, condemned, and punished in Jesus Christ. In terms of the forgiveness of our sins, there's nothing left to be done. Why are you in church this morning? You're not here paying for your sins. Why will you read your Bible and pray? It's not for the forgiveness of sins. Why will you, why will you try to live a godly life this week? It's not for the forgiveness of sins. We recently sang on Sunday morning here in this congregation, Jesus paid it all. There's not one cent left to be paid. Not one debt left to be paid. What would you bring to God to complete your redemption? Would you bring your children to God to complete your redemption? That would not be enough. Would you bring your life? Would you die to take away your sins? That would not be enough. Would you be a missionary for the next 50 years? That would not be enough. In fact, if you came to God with any of those things, trying to pay for your sins, he would be offended. He would be angry. You would be in great danger. You would say, God, your gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ at Calvary was not enough. It was insufficient. It would be a good idea this week to write a note where you can see it and see it every day for the rest of your life. Write a note that say, says, Jesus is seated. It's done. He was home and finished. Secondly, he was home to prepare. Look at John 14, 2. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to repair a place for you? You know what's something interesting? 
This is a, a good assignment. Read John 14 too. I go to prepare a place for you. And then turn back and read Genesis 1. As God prepared this creation. Before Adam arrived, God created a world for him. Before Eve arrived, God created a world for her. Jesus has revisited that idea. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. At this very moment, he's preparing a place for me, for you, for you, for you. Remember what Jesus is doing right now is related to our lives here. How we live in this world in a huge way is determined by what we think takes place after this life. Now think with me about this. I want you to listen to a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's a great quote. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. I would agree with that statement 1,000%. Unless you really understand what takes place next, Unless you really understand that, you're not going to be very effective in this world for Christ. Maybe that's the reason Christians affect this world for Christ little more than pagans affect this world for Christ. Maybe it's because we have the same pablum view of heaven that the pagans do. Listen to the world and life view of Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell was a great mathematician. He was a philosopher, English philosopher, but he was known mostly as a great atheist in his day. Now, as you listen to this, his own writing, think of the difference of how the world looks at death and eternity and how we look at death and eternity. Listen to Russell. The life of man is a long march through the night. Surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain. Toward a goal, a march toward a goal that few can hope to reach and where none can tarry long. One by one, as they march, our comrades vanish from our sight. Seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death. Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls, pitiless and dark, blind to good and evil, reckless of destruction, omnipotent matter rolls on in its relentless way. For man condemned today to lose his dearest friend, to mar himself, to pass through the gates of darkness, it remains only to cherish his little day. What is that kind of philosophy? What is that kind of darkness that sees death as omnipotent and death as the end? There is no, what, what will that philosophy do in this world? 
That's what creates. That's what created Soviet Russia. That's what created Soviet China. I mean, that's what created Mao's China. Look at it. Think of the difference that is ours in our world view through the ascended Christ. When all of Europe thought there was nothing beyond the vast oceans to the west, they lived like it. They were a world unto themselves. When Europe discovered that there was a world to the west, a new world, the life of Europe was forever changed. When we live life as if there's only darkness and Christ is not preparing a place for us, we will be a world unto ourselves. When we discover that in reality, in reality, it's not a pie in the sky. In reality, Christ is preparing a place for us that we have a place to go. The way we live here will be forever changed. He went home to prepare. and That should affect how we live now. Paul told the Thessalonians. Don't you mourn like the world mourns when your loved ones pass from us. Don't you mourn like the world. Why? Because the world comes to death and says, never more. We'll never see this person again. We'll never hear this person again. All we have are memories and that's it. And then we will come to die. Christ looks at death and says, death, you're not omnipotent. You're not the end. We come to the end and it's forevermore. There's a greater story to be told. Home and finished. Home to repair. Thirdly, he went home to reign. In Philippians 2.9 that Becky read. What a glorious passage. Look at Philippians 2.9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue could confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then Jesus' own words from Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth, not will be given to me, has been given to me. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is represented by many different symbols. The lamb, we sang this morning, crown him with many crowns. The lamb in Revelation. He's pictured as the warrior king in Revelation. He's pictured as the lion of Judah. But always, whether he's the lamb or the lion of Judah or the warrior king, he's always in Revelation on the throne. We sang it this morning. And crown him with many crowns. The lamb, where was he? On his throne. Where did we get that from the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation was written to a persecuted and suffering church. Thousands being slain week after week after week for hundreds of years. The book of Revelation was written to a persecuted and suffering church to remind them that Jesus right then not Shelby, right then was the king of kings and Lord of lords. The theme of the book of Revelations is, somebody asks you, what's the book? You know, we say, what's the book of Revelation about? Everybody says, man, it's so hard. Nobody knows what the book of Revelation is. All you have to say, I can tell you exactly what the book of Revelation says. Jesus 
reigns, period. There are many Christians who picture their duty to fight, to make him king. You might as well be fighting to make the sun rise tomorrow morning. We know the sun's going to rise tomorrow morning. No effort we do will affect it. Nothing we do as Christians will cause Christ to reign any more than he does. We do live in this world praying that the world around us will acknowledge his reign. We do live in this world pleading with the world to acknowledge their sin and to acknowledge his reign. But when Jesus returns, he will not be coming to begin his reign. He will be coming to prove to this world that he indeed does reign. He will be coming for the greatest reckoning creation has ever seen. What were the words that Jesus, but right now he's not back yet, but he still reigns. What were the words that Jesus said right after he said, remember he said, we read just a minute ago, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. What was the next thing he said? Therefore, because I do reign, you go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why was the early church so furious? I go back and I read of martyr after martyr after martyr after martyr. Were they super Christians? As they faced the lions in the Colosseum in all manner of torture? Why were they able to face down this world? Because whoever came to them to intimidate them, to dominate them, because whatever came, whatever it was to intimidate and dominate, those first and second century Christians had one answer. Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. He's the king of every king and lord of every lord. See, we want to say, well, he's my king. That's not what this says. That's not what this is saying. He certainly is my king. He's your king. You can say that. But that's not what this is saying. When I go to Scotland, been there several times. When I'm in Scotland, the president of the U.S. is my president. I can go to Scotland next week and tell my friend Scott Lauder, Donald Trump, He's my president. That's how most of us look at the kingship of Christ. We live saying, Jesus is my king. Jesus is the king of my home. Jesus is the king of my life. Folks, Jesus is saying, you don't get it. My father did not make me the king of your small domain, of your life, or your home. He made me the king of all kings, the ruler of all rulers, the Lord of all lords. Go find one place on this. Go find one place. I don't care whether you're standing in a brothel in Amsterdam or, or whether you're in the middle of Mao's, Mao's China. Where can you stand and say, Jesus, you don't reign here. 
You can't find a place. In his patience, he's allowed the brothels of Amsterdam. He's allowed the temples of Buddha, Japan. He's allowed the cruelties of China. But he reigns. It's just in his great patience. He's waiting. Jesus does not call us to live. as just he's my king. Jesus is calling us to live as if he's king over all of heaven and all of earth. Jesus was home and finished. Jesus was home to repair. Jesus was home to reign. And finally, he was home to glory. And this is the best part. Look at Philippians 2.9. Therefore, here's the prince of heaven. He's coming home. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Here is what we did not see. Here's what the disciples did not see when he ascended. He went home to glory. When he came, remember the first of Luke, when he came as a babe to Bethlehem. When, when the great theologians speak of that, they speak of that as the humiliation of the Son of God. That it was a humiliation that, that he laid aside his glory. He went from the glories of heaven. To the slums of earth. What if you were suddenly transformed, transported from your fine house from our? What if we were suddenly transported from our wonderful houses in Fayette County, and we were transported to a one-room hovel in Calcutta, India? What if you? We're suddenly in a place and it was your home and you had no bedroom, no stove, no refrigerator, no changes of clothes. You had two families living in this one room. You stepped out of a door into a street filled with garbage and the stench of sewage. Multiply that a thousand times, a million times, and you can't even come near what Christ experienced when he left the glories of heaven and came to earth. But what happens when he returns to the place from which he came? When he returns, it's glory upon glory. That's what the disciples did not see that day on the Mount of Olives. The disciples did not see that triumphal entry of the Prince of Heaven coming home to glory. The Roman triumph. It was a great parade for the glorification of a Roman general who had won incredible victories. There were certain rules to the Roman triumph that that, if you were going to be honored with that, you had to be a general who had been on the battlefield himself. He had to be the one who had planned and executed the plan, not his lieutenants. The enemy had to be completely defeated with few Roman losses. Peace had to follow the battle. The Senate had to be notified of such victory and validated. Then the, then the Senate called for a holiday to honor that general. 
He came into Rome in a great chariot wearing the toga picta. It was a purple robe lined with silver and gold. The great events of the battle would have been woven into the fabric. He wore a laurel wreath around his head and gold shoes. He had an ivory scepter with an eagle on top. Behind his chariots, immediately behind his chariots, came the generals who had been defeated. Came the kings that had been defeated. In chains as slaves. A conquered people. Then came the great treasures that had been taken from the conquered land. And only then came the army which had been led by the general. What a picture that was. That's how the apostles spoke of the home going of Jesus. Look at Ephesians 4, 8, and it says it all. This is why it said, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to all. He had been to a fallen planet, ruled by death, ruled by sickness. When he came home, sin and death were in his train and chains. The fallen world was in the midst of being redeemed. The father said, gave him a name above every name. Wow, what a picture. But look at Romans 8, 30, and we're done. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul was saying, as he spoke of our redemption, that's you this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ? You've been predestined, called, justified, and you will be glorified. Just as Jesus was glorified. He was giving, Paul was giving great comfort to the disciples here in the midst of the battle. They were being accused. They were being threatened on every side. We know the feeling. And he said in the midst of this, you will be more than conquerors. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. When Stephen was being stoned, remember? Stones being hurled against him, crushing his skull, crushing his ribs. Bloody mess. The last thing he saw. He saw a vision of heaven. He saw a vision of Jesus himself. But Jesus was not seated. Jesus was standing. The glorification of Stephen had begun. One day, 
We're going home to glory. Home to glory. Our hymn is in Christ alone.